Self-awareness is critical to your spiritual growth and your emotional and relational health. This message is the fourth in the series, Vision 2020. The message is entitled, See Yourself. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets, if you will, as we get started into today's message. Just one thing I do want to mention to you, I was away this past week in Mexico City, Mexico, doing a pastor's conference uh, for actually uh, Monday through Friday. Flew back early Saturday morning to be back with us this weekend. But I just want to let you know that God is at work all around the world and that your giving is making a difference. I was able to go and train a whole bunch of pastors this week in church principles, church life, because of your willingness in giving and your missions giving. Thank you so much on behalf of all those pastors. I know they greatly appreciate it. It's great to know that our church is making a difference around the world, isn't it? So good to know that, right? We're involved in a series of messages in this new year called Vision 2020. I'm talking to you about your spiritual vision, not just your eyesight. I'm talking about your insight. There's a big difference between having good eyesight. It's a great thing to have. We appreciate it and value that. But something that's, in fact, far more valuable than eyesight is your insight, your ability to see what God is doing in your life, to have a vision from God. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 that without a vision, people perish. And so we need this vision from God if we're going to flourish well. We need to have our eyes opened. Oftentimes, Jesus would make references to people who had eyes to see and ears to hear. And he was not talking about the physical eyes or the physical ears. He was talking about the eyes and ears of our spirit. So we're looking at what it, what it involves to experience, to gain greater vision for our lives, spiritual vision. We've been looking for the last several weeks at a passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Scriptures, we'll take a look at the first eight verses again together. This is this wonderful moment when Isaiah the prophet is called into prophetic ministry and this encounter that he has with God that opens up his eyes to things he'd never seen before in the same way. He, he began to experience vision 2020. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw, I visioned, I had a vision of the Lord, high and exalted, exceeded on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Let me stop there just for a moment and describe for you what's going on in the year that King Uzziah died. King of Judah. Isaiah most likely was very close to him. Some even say that, uh, that Uzziah was perhaps the cousin of Isaiah. So it was a very traumatic moment when Uzziah died. And the scripture says, in fact, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died. It was a, an instrumental, a very important year in my life. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I, my vision shifted from earth to heaven. I saw the Lord high and exalted, and he describes what he saw in terms of the glory of God, the angels singing holy, 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 the temple being filled with the presence of God, the holy smoke of God, we might say, and there he is in the presence of God, seeing things he'd never seen before in his life. He is now experiencing a new kind of vision. God is opening up his eyes. Now, notice what happens in verse number five, because the spotlight turns away from uh, Isaiah's experience and what he's seeing in heaven to Isaiah's experience in his own life and some of the words he begins to utter. Woe to me, I cried, or woe is me, one translation says. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes, my eyes have seen. I've had a vision of. I've opened my eyes, have been opened to. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. 
which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. For the next few moments, I want to share with you three lessons today about a very important thing that happened to Isaiah here in this story. We've talked about Isaiah seeing God and the importance of seeing who God is in your life and having your eyes open to God, his greatness, his power, his splendor, his majesty, his ability, and we've spent a whole weekend talking about that. We've talked about the importance of seeing the kingdom of God. Isaiah saw a king, and he saw this king ruling over the earth, and the angels declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So there's an impact of the kingdom of God on earth, and Isaiah had this experience of having his eyes open to the kingdom of God. But he also has another experience here in the story. His eyes are now opened to himself. He is seeing himself in a brand new light because when you get into the presence of God, you not only see who God is, but you see who you are. You begin to experience something about who you are and what needs to happen in your life. And I want to talk to you for the next few moments about three things that come out of this particular story as I was studying it and preparing for this series together. Number one, it's the importance of valuing something called self-awareness in your life. One of the essentials for growth in any realm of life is self-awareness. Psychologists tell us that's a valuable thing when it comes to our own personal capacities. It's certainly valuable in relationships. You can't be effective in a relationship with someone else until you learn more about you. And then as you learn more about you, you're able to know how to fit into relationships with other people most effectively and change the things that need to be changed in your life. But today I'm not talking to you about psychological self-awareness. I'm not talking about emotional self-awareness. There's certainly value to all those things. But I'm talking about a kind of self-awareness that comes in relationship with God. An awareness of who you are. And of course, as Isaiah has seen God and seen the glory of God, he now is turning his attention to something more significant for his own personal experience in his own life. He's now experiencing this moment where he's seeing things about himself and about his nature that he'd never seen before in the same light. Notice again what he says. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version this time. I read from NIV a moment ago, but he says it this way in in New King James Version. So I said, Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, my goodness, I'm in the presence of this holy God. And, And the first response was, woe is me, woe is me. That's the response of feeling troubled, feeling very concerned about what he's seeing about himself. He's aware of something in himself that makes him very, very uncomfortable about his own life. And he makes this declaration, I am undone and I'm a man of unclean lips. I want you to pull out with me two very important words there, the words undone and unclean. Would you say those two with me? Undone and unclean. Woe is me. I don't like what I'm seeing here. I, I'm, I'm undone by what I see, and I've recognized that I'm unclean. Let's look at those words just for a moment. The word undone in the original language is a word that means this. It means I feel like I'm about to be destroyed. And I, I don't have anything to say. Actually, the meaning of the word is to be silenced, that you come to the point where you're seeing something that just makes you say, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm undone. I don't have words. I'm silenced by what I'm seeing because I am unclean. I am am contaminated. I'm impure. I, I have some foul things in my life. And he describes what's foul, what's unclean about his life. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
What I want you to see in this section of the message today is the, the principle that true God awareness produces greater self-awareness. That when you become more and more aware of God, you cannot become aware of God unless you begin to be more and more aware of yourself because when God reveals himself to you, he also reveals you to you. He helps you to see more about you. He helps you to understand really who you are. And God wants to work in your life to not only help you see him, he wants to work in your life to help you see you. Not to condemn you, not to overwhelm you with guilt or shame or humiliation, but to address things in your life that are hindering you in your life at this moment. See, you cannot truly grow in God awareness without, without also growing in true self-awareness. And if you're not learning more about your own spiritual deficits and your own issues in your own life, then, then you're missing something in your relationship with God because God loves you so much that he wants to work inside of you. It's been said that God loves you so much that he, he is determined not to leave you the way you are, but to improve your life and to make you better. But that's requ that requires something called spiritual self-awareness. This is why David prayed this prayer in Psalm 139. Listen to his cry for spiritual self-awareness. Search me, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. God, would you show me any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? As I've been asking us questions over this series together, I ask you another question this morning. Do you, do you value, do you pursue spiritual self-awareness? Are you beginning to see in your life the areas that God is pointing to that need to be changed in your life? Are you open to that? Are you willing to let God speak to you about things in your life that now need his attention, things that are hindering you in your journey? We need to value spiritual self-awareness. Number two, the second point for today we draw it again out of the story of Isaiah's encounter with God. You and I need to see our personal sin. See, spiritual self-awareness is really primary about this, uh, primarily about this very thing. It's about something called sin. Now, most folks that know something about God or something about the Bible understand that God is anti-sin. Can I get an amen right there, okay? God's not pro-sin. God is anti-sin. In fact, it's seen there in Isaiah's encounter with God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And although many people understand that God is anti-sin, they, they don't really understand what sin is, and they don't really understand why God is anti-sin. Well, I'm not even sure if I, I know what sin is, and if, if, if this is so bad, why is it so bad? Why is God anti-sin? Sin, let me define it very simply for you today. We could go through lots of theological definitions of sin. I want to bring it down to the lowest level that we can come to today to, to, to grasp the meaning of this word. Sin is basically, basically this. It's when you live by your own rules rather than by God's rules. The best definition of sin that I can give you is found in the middle letter of the word I. That when I am in sin, I am living for me. I'm not living for God. I am living for me. I'm setting my own rules. I'm setting my own standards. I'm setting my own desires. I'm going after them. And, and, and it's all about me. It's what I want in my life. So sin is about living away from God and living for what you want, doing the things that are contrary to what God's will, God's word says for your life. Now, we might ask the question, as I posed a moment ago, why is God so against that? Why is God against you living for you and you being in the center of your life? 
It's a basic principle as well, a basic truth of Scripture. The reason that God is anti-sin, listen closely, is because sin is anti-human. Sin is anti-human. What I mean by that is this. We all recognize it. We've seen it in people's lives. We've seen it in our own lives. Sin destroys. Sin limits. Sin restricts. Sin damages people's lives. And so the reason that God is anti-sin is because God knows what sin does to people. God knows that when people are living in sin, as it's described in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And so God says, I don't want that. I don't want you to experience that. I didn't create you for destruction. I created you for life and an abundant life. And God is anti-sin because sin is anti-human. It destroys people. Here in this moment, Isaiah, Isaiah sees something in his own life that he recognizes as a problem. There's some sin in his life. See, God had a big plan for Isaiah, did he not? God had an amazing plan for Isaiah's life. God's plan for Isaiah's life is that he would become a prophet to the people of God, that he was, he was destined by God to speak God's word and God speaks, speak God's word to a nation that was in crisis and to speak words that we still read today about the coming of Messiah. He was to be a prophet of God. God had big plans for Isaiah, but Isaiah had a big problem in his life, did he not? God wanted to use Isaiah's lips to proclaim his word, but Isaiah's biggest problem was with his lips. And until God could cleanse his lips, Isaiah would be hindered in being everything that God wanted him to be. And so this is a very critical moment in Isaiah's life because there's something in his life that's standing in the way. Are you hearing me this morning for all of us? Something in his life that's standing in the way of the destiny and the plan that God has for him. I want you to be a prophet, Isaiah. I have a plan for your life. You're destined to speak my word to my people and to proclaim the coming of Messiah. I have some great plans for you, but here you are right now, and there's a problem in your life, and the very lips that I want to use to proclaim my word are lips that are unclean. Now I need to do something with your lips so that I can use you in the way that I designed you to live and to the purpose for which I designed you. Many times in Scripture, we see this kind of moment in people's lives where God brings a person to a moment of dealing with something in their life that they haven't dealt with before, and it's there because, and God does so because it's hindering them for their future. Let me take you to the book of Luke, New Testament book of Luke, chapter 5, and let's look at Peter just for a moment, because Peter had one of these moments in his own life. To set a little bit of the stage here for you in Luke chapter 5, Peter had, and, his, and the disciples had been out fishing all night long, and they caught nothing. There's nothing more discouraging than someone who's supposed to be an excellent fisherman and catch no fish. So here's Peter. They've been working all night long to catch fish. They've caught nothing. And Jesus shows up on the scene and notice what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let, let, the, let down the nets for a catch. Simon asked, answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now notice what happens now. Would you agree all, that's been a miracle, correct? Worked all night, haven't caught any fish, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, I know you guys are commercial fishermen, but I'm the Lord of the sea. Put your nets out on the other side, and everything's going to be all right. And so indeed, Peter says, well, Lord, we've been fishing all night. 
Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do what you say to do. And so they throw their nets over, and Peter begins to pull in, the, the, the disciples begin to pull in an amazing catch of fish. It's so big that one boat will not handle it. And so now we've had this miracle moment. It's caught Peter's attention. Notice now in verse number eight what happens after this. When, when Simon Peter saw this, saw this miracle, had this encounter with Jesus, when his eyes were open, when he had this visionary moment, when, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am what? A, a sinful man. After this miracle, this encounter with this glorious Lord of the sea, and he sees what he's able to do, I, uh, 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 Peter says, I'm not even worthy of being here, Jesus. I, I just need to get away from you because I have a lot of sin in my life that needs to be addressed, and I'm not sure what to do with it. And so he wants to move away because of the guilt and shame that he feels. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken, and so were James and John. You can read the rest of the story of what happens there. See, we can't discover the amazing plans of God for our lives without seeing our own personal sin. We have to see things in us. Now, here's our problem. We are generally pretty good at seeing other people's sins, are we not? How many have a pretty good x-ray vision and being able to determine what's going on with other people, right? Okay. Even when it's not even going on. You, we all have that capacity, right? Okay. The problem is we have this tendency to see and judge other people. Some people think they have a spiritual gift in doing this kind of thing, okay? the gift of condemnation. The issue is not about other people. The issue is about us. It's about you and me. And that's why Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. It was not a confession first and foremost for other people. It was a confession for himself. My, uh, my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, or the Lord of hosts, the King, the Lord of hosts. One of the greatest dangers and greatest hindrances to spiritual progress in our lives is our unwillingness to see our own personal sinfulness, where we are living for ourselves. And during the ministry of Jesus' time, when he was on earth, this was the problem with people that, that never grew, that never understood who he was. These folks oftentimes were referred to as the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were, they were blind to their own spiritual condition. They did not know how to own up to their own sin. Let me take you to one example of this in Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, that's a very religious man, and the other a tax collector, very sinful man. So you've got a guy that says, my life is together, and a guy that says, no, my life is not together. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Are you beginning to catch the, 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 the bragging nature of this man? He's very self-righteous. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, notice Jesus' commentary on this. I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, that's the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One of the most powerful ways that we can humble ourselves before God is to be willing to be like this tax collector and acknowledge our need of God and our need of God's forgiveness and God's grace because we recognize the sinfulness in our lives. Jesus very pointedly addressed this in Matthew 7. Listen to his words. Do not judge or you too will be judged. 
In the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, here's the key point he makes here. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention, right? What does it say there? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, you self-righteous person. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We have this natural tendency to minimize our own sins and to exaggerate the sins of others. And what we need to recognize is that needs to be flipped in our lives, that we need to be aware of the sin in our life so we can actually help other people effectively. And Isaiah was only able to find freedom from the very thing that was keeping him from his destiny by acknowledging his sinfulness to God, confessing his sinfulness to God, and in so doing, there's an amazing miracle that happens that brings me to my third point. And final point today, we need to value self-awareness. We need to see personal sin. But here's the, here's the hallelujah moment. Are you ready for it? You and I need to also see our personal Savior. Oh, that was a nice little amen, but that was, that, was, that, was, that was a little amen. Let me give back to you again. You need to see your personal Savior. Amen? amen? The story would not be complete with Isaiah at all unless we understood this part of the story. This is a valuable part, the most important part of the story. Because as, he, as Isaiah recognizes his own sin and he feels like I'm undone, I'm unclean, what am I going to do? Then at that moment, he doesn't feel like he can do anything to save himself. And then there's when God steps in and does for Isaiah what Isaiah could not do for himself because God is the Savior. Look at me again at verses 5 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 6. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then, notice the action of what happened now. Now we see heaven stepping in. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and with it which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard. The voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That then I heard is important because it points back to something that happened at the, the moment previously. This is exactly what happened. God stepped in and did for Isaiah what Isaiah could not do for himself. God commanded action from heaven. He sent the seraphim to the holy altar and and with tongs pull, pulled off a, 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 a coal, a live coal from the altar. And the seraphim flew over to Isaiah and touched his lips. Now, where was Isaiah's problem? With his lips. So God touched the very thing and cleansed Isaiah's sins. And then after he cleansed Isaiah of his sin, the very thing that he confessed and brought purification to his life, then Isaiah was able to hear what God wanted him to hear I need to send somebody to share my message. Who, who, who will go for me? And Isaiah is now able to say, here am I, send me. And I want to tell you this morning, this is the essence of today's message, that when we become spiritually self-aware, as Isaiah did, and when we acknowledge our sin before God, as Isaiah did, and we own up to it, we see the things in our life that are hindering us from what God wants us to be and the future God has for us, then God comes on the scene and God saves you from things you can't save yourself from. The heaven acts on our behalf. And there are three points I'll give you here as we're wrapping up in this third point. 
of what God will do for you when you become self-aware spiritually and when you begin to confess your sins, that God commands actions from heaven that will address the sin problem. He's done that. He's already done that for us in Jesus. Notice Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, what were we? Powerless. That's where Isaiah was. He was powerless to fix his own condition. Christ died for the ungodly, yet very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Notice verse number eight. It's precious. Why don't you read it together with me? Let's read it aloud and loudly across our campuses. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we are in our miserable condition as Isaiah was. He's unclean in his lips and he doesn't know what he's going to do. He feels, woe is me. I'm doomed in this situation. And God steps in and brings cleansing. He does for him what he can't do for himself in the same way. While we were still sinners, God said, I've got the answer to your problem. I can do for you what you can't do for yourself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we would no longer be powerless but we would have power from him to deal with issues in our life. Acts 4, 11 and 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation, saving grace, transformation. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, we can read that passage and properly interpret it as relating to salvation and eternal life in Christ, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus, yes, he saves us for an eternity with him in heaven, but he also saves you from you down here on this earth. He's a savior. There's no other name. The philosophies of men will never change you, and your best efforts to change yourself will never really work because that that will never really change your heart. All the New Year's resolutions you will make will never change you. I mean, you've already broken yours, okay? (laughs) I made a decision this year. I made my goal. I'm going to lose 25 pounds, okay? I'm happy to report I only have 30 more to go. (laughs) That's us, right? And then God cleanses us when we confess our sins. Matthew 26, 27, and 28. It's what communion is all about. It's a great recognition of what Jesus does for us. Then he, Jesus, took a cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First John 1, 9, read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As Isaiah was purified, as we confess our sins, God purifies us. And here's the thing I want you to see, that once God has stepped into your world as Savior, and indeed He is there for you as a Savior, and as you confess your personal sin to Him, then God takes cleansed people and He moves them into confident living and confident giving again. Isaiah 6 through 8, 6, verses 6 through 8, the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away. That's the forgiveness. And your sin atoned for. That's the forgiveness. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. What I want you to see there is that God did not, did not disqualify Isaiah from ministry. God did not disqualify Isaiah from service. After Isaiah confessed his sin and dealt with that in his life, he was released to be the person God called him to be and do what, what God had called him to do. And so this is the very essence of the story. It's that God had a plan for Isaiah's life and sin was in the way. And when he dealt with that sin, he was released to do the very thing that God created him to do. See, the sin was holding him back and hindering from his future. And I will tell you that when God cleanses you from your sins, when you come to grips with things in your life, you open up and confess them to God and make it real with him and deal with it at the heart level, then God does not want you to live in the misery over your past. He wants you to embrace the beauty of your future. He doesn't want you to live in the misery of your past. He wants you to embrace the beauty of the future that he has for you. Because your sin's just something standing in the way of the destiny God has for you. And God never comes into our life to condemn us. See, the devil is a condemner. I need to take just a couple of moments on this. See, when, when you fall down, the devil has one objective is to keep you down. When you mess up, the one thing that de the devil wants is to remind you of how you've messed up. And to tell you, if there's no future for you now, you can forget about this. He wants to keep you down and stand on top of you and keep you from moving forward. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He wants by his accusations to make you continually feel guilty about what's been a part of your life, even after God has cleansed you from it, even after you've been forgiven. He tries to tell you that there's no purpose for you. Look, you've messed up so badly. Isaiah could have felt that way and with the recognition of his unclean lips. And he could have said, when God said, who, who, who can I send? Who will go for me? Isaiah would say, Lord, I'd love to, but you know, I got this past and you know, I really had bad lips and haven't been a really good guy. and I'd like to do it, but, but I can't. No, Isaiah was now in a point of confidence because of his cleansing. He was able to say, here am I, send me. He was no longer living in guilt or condemnation for that which God had cleansed. The very thing that God spoke to Peter when Peter looked up at that sheet that came down out of heaven filled with all kind of unclean animals and God told him to rise and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't, I can't eat that. Those are unclean. And God says, don't call unclean anything that I've called clean. The same is true in your life. Don't call unclean what God's called clean. The devil will remind you you're unclean, you're unclean, you're unclean. But if you've been washed in the blood, you've had the best bath you'll ever have, okay? There's no bath like the blood of Jesus, okay? That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 1 John 3, 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. What does that mean? If our hearts condemn us. You know, there are times that even after God has forgiven you, your heart keeps condemning you. God's forgiven you, but you keep condemning yourself. And here's where the writer John says, if our hearts condemn us, you need to know this, that God's greater than your heart. But that voice of condemnation inside of you, there's a voice of God that is stronger than that, that will set you free. He knows everything. He knows the sincerity of your confession before him. Once we're forgiven, we need to humbly see ourselves as being cleansed by God and redeemed by God and restored by God and covered by God, and made holy in his presence and confident once again, justified and sanctified and qualified. We need to see that we have a personal savior. 
Our vision for 2020 needs to be a vision that we value, that we welcome self-awareness in our life, spiritual self-awareness. Search me, O God, and show me those things in my life that I need to see. And then when we see our sin, to recognize that the problem with sin, it's, it's not just that it's God trying to rob us of happiness from life by telling us to deal with it. No, it's hindering us from our future, and then we need to realize that there's a Savior that has come to help us in the midst of it. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful for the opportunity we've had to share this time together. Lord, thank you for the great story of Isaiah's encounter with you. What a wonderful thing as Isaiah, Isaiah sees you and sees your kingdom and your throne. And yet in the midst of it, he also begins to see himself. And it's a very discouraging moment when he sees things in his life that are, that are not right. But thank you that Isaiah did the very thing that all of us need to do, that when we see those things in us, Lord, that we are ready and willing to confess them before you and to own up to them and not to push them away or to push them out of our life or deflect them in some way or to blame other people. But Lord, Isaiah owned it. Help us to own the sin in our life before you and confess it, to be honest with you about it. We thank you, Lord, that when we are honest with you about what we, what we have in our lives that, 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 that is unlike you, thank you that you show up on the scene. You've shown up in Jesus and you're there to cleanse us of this, this, the, the stuff in our life that gets in the way of our destiny. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would all go through this process and rise up as Isaiah did with confidence and assurance, having been cleansed, that we can go forth and serve you with our whole hearts. Seal this word in our heart today, I pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. 
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.